name. Amen. Let's begin by reading the first section of chapter 40. It says in chapter 40, verse 1, that it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream, and one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of the Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? Why are you cast down? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And so the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and said unto him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine there were three branches, and it was as though it budded. And her blossom shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth grapes, ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, Well, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up your head and restore you unto your place, and you shall deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when you were his butler." But think on me when it will be well with you, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. And when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, Well, this is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. And yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang you on a tree, and the birds shall eat your flesh from off thee. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants, And he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot them. As we are in this section of Genesis in uh, chapters 38 and 39 and and 40, um, what we're really looking at is the preparation of Joseph uh, for the great plan that God has had for him, uh, that God revealed to Joseph way back when he was just 17 years old, when he had the dreams and his brothers and then the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down to him. And uh, where he's at now is in the season where God is, is bringing Joseph into the place of maturity that he needs to be, to be the kind of man uh, prepared with the right character, the right abilities uh, to do the job and to be in the place that God called him. And the preparation of Joseph really divides into uh, two periods. The first was in Potiphar's house, or on Potiphar's farm, where Joseph was quickly raised up as the head servant or slave over Potiphar's 
uh, uh, you know, goods, and he was quickly elevated to the place where he was the captain. And there he learned the culture of the Egyptians, and he learned the language, and he learned how to lead, and he learned agriculture, and learned how to make the earth bring forth, and learned how to gain the respect uh, of people that even weren't of his own ethnicity. And uh, just really God cultivated something within him there. But God had more for, for Joseph, and though he probably was uh, somewhat content in his position, we're told at the very beginning of this chapter, chapter 40, our, our study tonight, that it came to pass, it says, after these things, and, and what things it's talking about there, is that Joseph was then accused falsely by Potiphar's wife of attempted rape. And Potiphar most likely knew Joseph's character, that, that this was a false charge, uh, because Joseph was not killed, but he was put in prison. And so Potiphar was kind of put in a place where it was Joseph's word against his wife's word. He wasn't able to disrespect his wife. And so Joseph kind of ends up in prison, which makes really the second part of Joseph's preparation. The first part being in Potiphar's farm, the second part being in Potiphar's office. We learned last week that Potiphar was the captain of the guard. And so Potiphar took Joseph and he put him in the place where he could then use him uh, no longer at home, but now at work. And so we read in our text that Joseph quickly became the chief over all of the other prisoners. Uh, as God was with him, God gave him favor. And God is going to continue growing him up uh, in all of these things. Now, in each of these two parts of Joseph's preparation, Potiphar's house and now in the prison, God is teaching Joseph. And, and Joseph is learning whether he knows it or not. God is making sure that he's going to be ready. Now, the difficulty of these days for Joseph is that he doesn't know exactly what it is that he's learning. God is making sure that he's present and that he's getting the, the lessons. But Joseph doesn't know why all of these experiences are happening and, and what God is actually doing. God keeps him in the dark concerning all of that, even though Joseph is learning. And that really is the difficulty of the days of preparation, is the not knowing. From Joseph's perspective, being in the farm and now in the prison, he feels locked in the slow lane. He feels as though his life is passing him by, time is just being lost, and he's getting older, and yet absolutely nothing is happening. There's no sign that his dreams are coming to pass. There's no sign that things are moving in that direction. He's in a dungeon. He's in a prison, and it just seems like everything concerning him is set completely on pause. God is doing nothing at all. But the truth of the matter is that whenever it seems like God is doing nothing at all in the lives of one of his own, he's actually doing great things in the unseen place, under the surface, in fashioning and forming the heart, in training the life, in investing in the life, the things that are needed in order for there to be future fruit. The more important work that God does in any life or person is the work that he does in us in order that he might then later move through us. But if he doesn't first do the work in us, then it either hinders or defiles what he wants to do through us later on. And so the seasons of preparation are vital in the hearts of God's people and in, in our lives. It seems like he's doing nothing. They're days of discouragement, of small things, but God is very definitely at work in Joseph, and he's at work in us. Now, 
The background for what's going on here in this second part while Joseph is in the prison is that he's there, and it tells us in the text that the chief of Pharaoh's uh, kitchen, really his cupbearer, and then also his baker, that they were put in the prison. It says that there was an offense. Now, the two men that were put in there, first of all, we, we read that it was the chief butler, and this would be the cupbearer. And the cupbearer, in a sense, in those days, would be really a part of the bodyguard because he would be in charge of delivering whatever it was that the Pharaoh would drink at any time into his hand. And therefore, he had to be very trustworthy because if there was ever to be an assassination attempt, most likely it would be through some form of poisoning. And so the cupbearer had a very important responsibility to make sure he knew what was in the Pharaoh's cup before the Pharaoh drank it. And often it was customary for him to drink from that source himself first so that if there was anything that slipped through and was tainting it, that he would die before the Pharaoh. So he's really part of the secret service, the one who jumps in front of the president and takes a bullet in case of any assassination attempt. The other person here in this uh, is the chief of the bakers. Now he would equally be a person that would have to be trusted because, again, he was in charge of the food that would go before the Pharaoh. And so the two things, the food and the drink, now we see that there's been an offense or something has happened where an investigation needs to be launched to find out who might be guilty in what was probably some form of an assassination attempt or some attempt to try to harm the Pharaoh in some way. And so not being able to know, is this the butler's conspiracy or is this the baker's conspiracy? Both of them are put in prison for this season. And it just so happens in the providence of God that they are put under Joseph's care in the house of the captain of the guard. And so they're in prison. Now, it tells us that they both dreamed. Both of them in the same night had a dream, and both of those dreams were interpretable, meaning that they were from God and there was meaning behind them. And thus, in verses 5 through 8, we see the occasion that led to Joseph's interaction with these two men, which is going to be important later on in the story. And so Joseph comes into the prison in the morning and he sees these two men and immediately he recognizes something in their countenance that was a little bit above and beyond the disgruntled normalcy of, of, of discouragement that would normally be found in a prisoner. And rather than just brushing it off, he seizes the opportunity to inject himself a little bit into their lives and find out what's going on. And so he asks them the question, and he says, well, why is it that, that today there's something about it? You guys look troubled. And he crossed into their world. And what happened is that they then told him that they had dreams, and this interaction turned into an opportunity for Joseph to employ his gifts and the grace of God that had been imparted to him in order to help someone or a couple of guys that had some problems. And what amazes me about this is that this is an opportunity that you and I face on a daily basis. Now think about it. Joseph is not in full-time ministry here. He's not the pastor of a church. He's not the leader of a Bible study or a Sunday school class. He's a prisoner, and he's occupied. He's busy. He's got things going on in his life. He has responsibilities and things that he has to do. And in the middle of that, 
he sees an opportunity to bring God to someone in need, and he seizes that opportunity by just simply making an observation of something that he sees in their face and then drawing out of them a little bit of what's going on on the inside. And then what happens is that he sees a way that he is equipped by God to meet a need that they have. And that's something that you and I can do all the time. God has put us in the lives of other people. We see people that we work with, people that we live by, sometimes people that are in our own household, you know, uh, children or parents or, or whoever it is that's around us, people in church. And, and what God would have from us is for us to be in tune and aware of, of where people are at and what's going on and to cross over into other people's lives and to fish a little bit, find out what's going on in somebody's world. And no doubt, within even just a couple of minutes of interacting with someone, God will reveal a way that you are equipped to meet the need that they have. Because he's the one that's orchestrating those relational interactions. And so it's an encouragement and really a testimony, not a testimony, it's a, a prodding to us. And to, to get outside of our comfort zone and to get involved in the lives of other people, see what's going on and see how God might use us in some way. It shows us the importance of being others-centered even when we feel like we're in prison ourselves. I mean, Joseph had every excuse to just wallow in self-pity right now. I shouldn't be here. This is horrible, God. If you're going to treat me this way, I'm not going to serve you. But he doesn't do that. He's in prison himself but he's able to be other-centered in it. It's amazing how you can see growth, isn't it? There's some maturity in this man, and what God is doing is working in his life. Well, the butler speaks up first and tells Joseph his dream. He says it consisted of a fruitful vine, a servant's hand, and a simple service. A vine that budded with blossoms and pressed, uh, bore out grapes, and then he himself pressed those grapes into Pharaoh's cup and then served and delivered the cup again into Pharaoh's hand. And that was really the, the, the whole of his dream. And Joseph says, hey, that one's easy. You know, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches, three days. The cup, Pharaoh's cup. And you, you are the servant. And you will again be restored after three days back into your position. And you'll deliver Pharaoh his cup like you did in the past. But then Joseph, on the other side of giving this man the interpretation, he sees an opportunity to appeal his own case before the highest court in the land. That is the court of the Pharaoh himself. And so on top of giving the interpretation and telling this man what's going to come to pass in his life, he then gives a request, a plea, and he says, listen, when you stand before the Pharaoh, would you please, if the opportunity arises, would you remember me? I'm in this prison. I was kidnapped. He doesn't mention his brothers or give the whole story of how it happened, but he says, I was kidnapped out of the land of the Hebrews. And even now in this prison, I was falsely accused. And all I'm asking for is an audience with someone who will listen. If you'll just remember me when you come into the, the court of the Pharaoh. And so he gives his plea. He gives his ask. But then the baker chimes in himself. He sees that the interpretation is good. And so he turns around and he says to Joseph, he says, hey, hey, do mine now. Do my dream. I want you to tell me what mine is. And he gives a whole different scenario. Not a vine that was bearing forth fruit, but rather there were three white baskets upon his head. 
And in those baskets, not fruit that grows from the earth, but baked meats, food that's been manipulated by man. And then the birds of the air that come and eat the food out of the uppermost basket, that is that there's an unintended destiny for this food. It doesn't go where it's supposed to go, but rather it's stolen by the birds of the air. And then this man awakes and he's troubled by the vividness of his dream. And Joseph, as quickly as he gave the interpretation of the second, says, all right, you want to know what your dream means? Here goes. And he tells him, even though the interpretation isn't so good, he says, listen, three baskets, three days. And three days, you're going to be hanged. Your head's going to be removed from you. <laughs> and uh, you're never going to be with Pharaoh again. And then he gives no word of direction because really there's no direction in his destiny. This man is absolutely done. But Joseph interprets the dreams. And then we find, as the chapter closes, that things come to pass in exactly the manner in which Joseph interpreted and then prophesied concerning what God was revealing of these men's future, what was going to happen within their lives. Amazing, God using the gift of Joseph in the life of these two men. Now, concerning dreams, a lot of people will come Often, they'll ask you and me in our interactions, and they'll say, I had this incredible dream, but I can't tell what it means or if it means anything at all. Back in those days, and, and even in pagan cultures, even to this day, dreams carry an incredible significance uh, with people. In, in, in those days, especially amongst the pagans, they considered that when they had a dream, that that was the direct communication of the gods, that God or the gods were seeking to impart some information to them, and so they placed an incredible uh, weight upon that. Now, our God, the true and the living God, the God of the Bible, the God of the church, he also uses dreams. He has used them in the past, even from the very beginning, and he uses them in the present, and he will continue to use them in the future. We see that God uh, gave dreams to Joseph. The whole uh, reason why we're studying his life and, and the things that happened to him, all of that originated and started with a dream. We see that the, throughout the, the Old Testament, there are many that were given night visions or dreams. Daniel, in his book, he interpreted dreams, and they were from God. And so God does use dreams. We know that Joseph... The stepfather of Jesus himself was warned by God in a dream not to go back uh, to, to Pilate, but to actually leave the land. But it was through a dream that God communicated his will. We know that, the, that God communicated to the Apostle Paul at times through dreams, telling him to stay in, in Corinth, that he had many people in that place, and it came to pass, even as he said. There was another time that Paul had a vision of a man and God used that vision to lead him into the city that he was to go to next. And so God will use dreams and there are times that we as his people have dreams that are significant and that mean something that God wants to communicate into our lives. Now, the problem with dreams and God communicating through dreams is that dreams can have their source in something other than God. Meaning that not every dream that we have is necessarily from God. Sometimes it can be because we ate too much of the wrong food too close to bedtime. It can be for various other reasons. Sometimes we have such a, an overabundance of stimulation 
of things and events that are happening in a particular season of our life that just mentally, while we sleep, our minds are trying to sort out and put things in all their places and figure out everything that's going on in a particular time. And it results in like these crazy hallucinations where one minute you're watering your garden and then the next minute you're throwing a worm at your child, you know? And, and it's like, what in the world is this? Where did this come from, you know? And so not every dream is necessarily from God. Now listen. When God wants to get a message to you, he knows how to get the message to you. And that means that if God's going to communicate through a dream, then somehow, somewhere, God is going to also bring the interpretation of that dream. What I've also found is that when God needs to get a message to me, oftentimes I'm so slow of hearing or sometimes so spiritually insensitive that he needs to get me a message seven different ways. And so maybe one of those ways will be through something that I dream. But then I'll also hear it seven times in seven different Bible studies. It'll come up in my devotions. It'll come up in about three conversations. And it takes about six months of that. And finally I say, God, are you trying to say this to me? You know, One of the most helpful pieces of advice that I was ever given, and that I often give, you've probably heard me say it many times, is that the shepherd is never dependent upon the IQ of the sheep. Isn't that comforting? That if God wants to get a message to you, he knows how to get that message to you. And he's not up in heaven going, oh my goodness, how, am I, how in the world? I have tried so hard. And so we don't need to rely exclusively upon things like dreams or signs in order to hear what God wants to say to us. One of the best verses concerning this is Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 28. And it says this. It says, The prophet that has a dream, let him tell the dream. But he that has my word, let him speak my word faithfully, for what is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord. I love that. Because what God is essentially saying there is that if you want to know the will of God, if you want to know what God wants for your life, get in the Bible. Become familiar with God's Word. Get familiar with God through His Word. Understand His ways and the patterns and what things mean scripturally. Why? Because there's this thing called expositional constancy. You don't have to remember that. But what it means is that God is very consistent in the way that he speaks and in the symbols that he uses. In other words, that when God uses something symbolically in the Bible to mean something, it always means that something. And so you take something like thorns in the Bible. Thorns were first mentioned, the byproduct of the curse. The earth didn't bring forth until thorns came, so thorns are bad. Now, every time you see thorns in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, thorns are bad. Jesus gives us the icing on the cake when he tells us that the thorns are the cares of this life, the desires for riches, and the lusts for other things, things other than God and spiritual things. Now, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Jesus tells us what thorns mean. That means that thorns are never going to mean something else if God is communicating the message. So what does that mean? It means if you have a dream and there's thorns in the dream then you already know what that part of the interpretation is because God is constant in the way that he communicates. He's not trying to confuse us. He's not the author of confusion, but the author of peace. 
And so if you want to know God's will, if you want to become familiar with his ways, if you want to be led of the Lord and understand that leading, get in the word because the word is going to help us understand his voice. What is the chaff to the wheat? In other words, a dream held up against the word of God, the Bible, is like the chaff that is worthless and doesn't edify. Whereas the word of the Bible is like the wheat that strengthens. God says in verse 29, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? There's power in the Bible. Don't chase after dreams, experiences, and visions. Chase after God and his word. And if those other things come, you'll know what they mean because you're equipped by the word of God. Amazing what happens here. Well, what's the outcome of all of this? Joseph's interpretations, they come to pass in all of it. And what we see at the end of this is that there's some good things going on in Joseph's life in spite of the fact that he's in prison. First of all, before we cross into chapter 41, what we see of Joseph is that he's a really good example of someone who cultivates spiritual things while he's being shaped and taught and led in the daily practical things. Now, all of us have lives, right? We have jobs. Many of us have families. We have kids. We have responsibilities. Demands are being made of us constantly to take care of things and do things that we either want to, sometimes we don't want to do. And sometimes what can happen in the middle of all that crazy is that spiritual things can kind of get pushed off the plate. We stop reading We stop seeking God in prayer. We stop cultivating and growing. We stop serving. You know, those things, they're they're not as pressing, and so we're too busy, and so we don't do those things. And there's a consequence that's carried in those things. Joseph doesn't do that. He has responsibilities, demands upon his life. He's being trained up in the busyness of daily things. But at the same time, he's still careful to cultivate a walk with God, a sensitive ear to hear God, and an availability to be used of God even in the life of someone as lowly as a criminal. And it's a good example to you and me that even though we're busy, it's essential that we maintain a growth, a steady walk with God, a steady intake of His Word, cultivating our part. God is laying the foundation of Joseph's future, but Joseph is enabling God to lay the foundation of his spiritual substance by continually taking in God, being able to interpret when the time absolutely comes. It's interesting here that we're told at the end of the chapter that Joseph was forgotten by the chief butler, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt. You say, oh my goodness, we're going to find out in the first verse of the next chapter that two full years is going to pass and Joseph is going to be left in the prison wondering whatever came of that conversation. For two years, there's nothing but silence as Joseph just sits in the prison. And you say, why? Why is this taking so long? Why is he being forgotten, essentially, or at least seemingly, or at least by men? Why is this happening? Well, first of all, because the preparation isn't done yet. If God were to exalt Joseph before he finishes doing in his life what he needs to, then he wouldn't be the kind of person that he needs to be. He wouldn't be equipped with the right spirit the right attitude, or maybe the right leadership skills to do what's going to be called of him to do or demanded of him to do when he comes into that time. And God knows that he needs that time. He's not ready yet. If God won't waste a breadcrumb 
Remember when Jesus said, pick up all the scraps that remain so that there's nothing wasted and they picked up 12 basketfuls? If God won't waste a breadcrumb, he's not going to waste the most valuable thing that you and I possess, and that is our time. If God keeps us in a place of preparation, even if that place is a prison, he will not keep us there one minute longer than is absolutely necessary to see to it that we're ready and equipped for what it is that's coming in our future. And thus Joseph is not ready yet. Preparation is still happening, and thus there's two more years. The other reason is timing. See, it's not all about Joseph. God didn't build the plan around Joseph. He's inserting Joseph into his plan. And in the orchestration of events, there's a famine coming, and there's an interaction coming, and there's a move of Jacob and his family down to Egypt that's coming. And all of that is the bigger picture of God's plan, of which Joseph is going to play a key part, an important role. But it's not epicentered around him, and therefore there's an aspect of all of this that's just pure timing. God is orchestrating in the peripheral circumstances, and he's preparing things, the stage, so that Joseph's scene can come, and he's there in the right place when he comes. God needs Joseph where he can easily be found, be found when Pharaoh has a dream. How many of you have a spouse, and there's only one in a marriage, this only happens to one, either the husband or the wife, not usually both, but how many of you have a spouse that doesn't leave things where you put them? I do. Do you know why? Because I'm a chaotic mess. I am so organized in my own way. Meaning, I know where I put something when I last had it, where I last left it. The problem is, I often leave things where they don't belong. And thus, the more neatly organized members of my household are often picking things up and putting them where they think they belong. And that's good for them, but it's not good for me. Because I know right exactly where I left something, and when I go looking for it, I want it to be where it was, Otherwise, it becomes an incredible ordeal trying to locate things that are very important in that moment, you know. And this happened, this happened actually yesterday, you know. It happens all the time. And it's my fault because I leave things laying around, you know. And I own it. Confess. I'm, Georgia in here? Good. She's not in here, you know, tonight. She's in here tonight. She's not sitting where she normally sits. You know. I love you. <laughs> Now, God never misplaces anything. And he knows where to find it, no matter where it is. But God needs the chief butler and the pharaoh to know right where Joseph is when he's needed later on. And if Joseph gets sprung from prison because he's helped by the cupbearer here, what's he going to do? Where's he going to go? Most likely, he's not going to stay in Egypt. Maybe. But even still, he won't be available. God has Joseph exactly where he needs to be, the domino lined up so that when the events begin to unfold, he'll be quickly found. And thus the timing of God is part of the reason for two more years. Now, just for some encouragement, maybe you're here tonight and you feel like you're in that prison and that you're forgotten of God. There's an amazing message that's communicated to Joseph during this final season of his preparation. This whole interaction thing, God speaks to Joseph. 
What does God say to Joseph through all of the events that happen here? He tells him, first of all, he lets Joseph remember that he is involved in every detail. He's involved in the time, the outcome, the duty that everybody does, the destiny of every player. God communicated that through the dreams that these two men had. The vines meant something. They were time. They were three days. God measures the time. It's going to be very specific. The details, what they're going to be doing and why, those are important to God. And the outcome of all of it and the destiny in the future, all of that is measured by God. And though Joseph was interpreting for someone else, it was a reminder to Joseph that God is in control of all those things. The second thing that God communicated to Joseph through all of this is that just as the interpretation of the butler and baker's dreams came to pass, the interpretation of Joseph's dreams are still yet going to come to pass. That things will come to pass exactly as God ordained, every detail in his time. And I'm sure that was great encouragement to Joseph in this season of waiting and preparation, thinking that he's been abandoned by God. A reminder to him of his own dreams. I'm amazed that Joseph didn't get bitter in all this time and all this waiting and all this pain. Can you imagine if the butler and the baker, Joseph said, he comes in and he says, why are you sad? What's going on? And they said, well, we had a dream and we can't figure it out. Dreams? You're sad because you had a dream? I'll tell you about, you want to hear about dreams? I'll tell you about being sad because of a little dream. He doesn't do that. He's not bitter at God. He's not upset about the circumstance. He does want out. We hear it in his voice. Please intercede for me before the Pharaoh. Joseph's an amazing example. Well, in chapter 41, now here comes Joseph's exaltation. The preparation is finished. God's not going to leave him there one more day. And an explosion of amazing is about to happen for Joseph. It says that it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. And behold, he stood by the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine, that is cattle, and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other cattle came up after them out of the river that were ill-favored and lean-fleshed. So fat-free beef. You ever, you know... Heard of it, here it is. It's tofu or something. These cows are made out of. And they stood by the other kind on the brink of the river. And it says that the ill-favored and lean-fleshed cattle did eat up the seven well-favored and fat cattle. So Pharaoh awoke. And he slept and he dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came upon one stalk rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And so two dreams, one involving livestock, the other involving agriculture, cattle and corn, both of them, fat-fleshed, fruitful substance is devoured by that which is lean or blasted. And it says that it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled and he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream. 
but there was none that could interpret them unto the Pharaoh. Now, the reason they couldn't interpret it is because they weren't familiar with the source. The dreams came from God. These guys worked for the devil, and therefore they didn't understand uh, the, the interpretation or the meaning. But it says, Then spoke the chief butler unto the Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. He says, Oh, yeah, that's right. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants, and he put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream, and one night, I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream did he interpret. And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was, me he restored unto my office, and him he hanged. And so he gives testimony to the Pharaoh. And it says, Then Pharaoh sent, and he called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto the Pharaoh. Now, what does Joseph look like at this point? He's been in the prison. I guess when you're in prison, you don't shave, you don't wash, you know, you just live in. He's at this point probably extremely discouraged. But now he gets the call up. He's going from the miners to the majors. No longer interpreting for the prisoners, but for the king himself. And so he changes his clothes, he cuts his hair, he shaves, and he's brought before the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard spoken of thee that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, this is incredibly humble. It's also incredibly bold and incredibly wise. It's humble because, first of all, he doesn't take credit for the gift that's been given to him. He recognizes that any ability to do anything for God or anything supernatural is not from or in himself. And he's faithful to declare that. And that's an important principle amongst God's people is that we always give glory to God for the things that he does in our life. It's also bold of Joseph to do this. It's bold of him because Pharaoh in that culture and in that kingdom was revered as God. And so for Joseph to speak of a God that's higher than the man that he's speaking to and speaking on behalf or for is extremely bold. It would take an incredible degree of confidence in the God that he serves. All of these things that were cultivated in Joseph during this time. You know, something happens when you're hopeless, when you're in a hopeless situation, is that you lose all um, sense of caring what other people think. Especially when you've been in a situation like Joseph for an extended period of time, and you realize that there's no human help. He's been betrayed by his brothers. He then was not safe in Potiphar's care. He was stabbed in the back by his wife. Not, no one went to bat for him among, amongst the servants. Now he's in prison. The butler forgot him. And you really come to a point where you're like, you know what, people are crazy. I can't trust them. But that's kind of a good thing because once you realize that, then you become locked in with God where he's your only confidence. And it doesn't matter if someone's the king or whether they're a peasant you're locked in with God, and God is God, and you are who you are before Him. And so whatever I say to you doesn't really matter. 
I'll deliver a message to a baker who's about to be hanged, and I'm not afraid that I'm giving him bad news. And I'll say boldly to the Pharaoh that interpretations come from God, even though you're the one that's supposed to be worshipped as God. I'm, I'm really not afraid of that. And so there's a boldness here. And there's also a great wisdom in Joseph as he's communicating to Pharaoh in this way. He says that God is going to give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, he, he obtains favor and Pharaoh goes on. He doesn't say, get this man out of my presence. There's something about him. He wins the trust of Pharaoh. And he tells Joseph the dream. He says, in my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven cattle, fat-fleshed, well-favored, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other cattle came up after them, poor and ill-favored, lean flesh, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. And the lean and the ill-favored cattle did eat up the first seven fat cattle. Now, this part is new. We didn't get this in the first part. And when they had eaten them up, it could not be known that they had eaten them, but they were still ill-favored as at the beginning, so I awoke. In other words, when the, when the gaunt, skinny cattle ate the fat-fleshed ones, they were not nourished by it. And I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears came up in one stalk full and good. And behold, seven ears withered thin and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears, and I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it to me. And so Joseph said unto Pharaoh, and so now here comes the interpretation. The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cattle are seven years. There's a time element in what's going to take place. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. Both mean the same thing. And the seven thin and ill-favored cattle that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. And this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he shows unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following. For it shall be very grievous. In other words, just like the Skinny cows were still skinny after they ate up, and the seven skinny corn were still... He said it's going to be the same thing. The seven good years are going to be eclipsed by the badness of the seven famine years. And the seven good years won't even be remembered because of it. And four, verse 32, that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. I'm amazed at Joseph's level of spiritual understanding. God always confirms the word that he gives. It's always doubled. It's one of the ways that we know when God is speaking to us is that we don't just get it once. He continually confirms the word that comes to us. And so Joseph brings that to Pharaoh. That's why it was given to you twice. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man who's discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Now, I love Joseph because he goes beyond what's asked of him here. 
And he's given the interpretation, but now he's going to give counsel and advice that was not asked for. He says, look out for a man, discreet and wise. Set him over the land. Let Pharaoh do this. And let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. Institute a 20% tax on all agriculture during the seven years of plenty. And let them gather all the food of these good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. He says, wow, you know, this is brilliant. Attacks and granaries guarded by the city, jobs, and I'll have the reputation of being the one who saved Egypt having food for all of those years. Everything sounds absolutely uh, good to Pharaoh and all the things um, that, that Joseph tells to him here. Now, uh, amazing what Joseph does in all of this. If you were to look at Joseph's method, we've seen him interpret dreams twice here uh, in the chapter that's before us. We see that Joseph's way of interpreting a message from God is very simple and it's very applicable to you and me. What he does is, first of all, is just observation. What is the message? Then, interpretation. What does it mean? Then, application. How does it relate to real life, the situations and the circumstances that I'm living in right now? And then finally, action. What do I do? That's what Joseph does every time. What's the dream? Tell me. Then he says, here's what it means. And then, here's how it applies. And this is what you should do. He does that to the butler to the baker, he does everything but the action because there was nothing he could do. And now he does it to the Pharaoh. Here's the dream, what it means, how it applies, and now here's the action, here's the counsel. That's really good method for you and me as we seek to discern the voice of God and know Him. Anytime you approach the Bible, anytime you hear a message in church, anytime you feel like God is seeking to get, communicate something to you, a book that you're reading, something you hear on the radio, just ask yourself those questions. Observation, what is it? Interpretation, what does it mean? Application, how does it apply to the current status of things in my life? And what am I supposed to do with it? What's the action that, that God would have me to take because I have heard these things? Amazing wisdom that Joseph has. Uh, we find it useful even in the court of the Pharaoh. Well, Joseph is uh, given favor by the Pharaoh. And notice what Pharaoh says uh, here it says in verse 37 after the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants it says that Pharaoh said to his servants can we find such a one as this a man in whom the spirit of God is and Pharaoh said unto Joseph for as much as God has showed you all this there is none so discreet and wise as you are you shall be over my house and according to your word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. You know, I can't help when I read this verse but think of Joseph's brother Judah. Remember when Judah went into the harlot back in chapter 39? Remember what he had to trade? His ring, his bracelet, and his staff? 
representing his identity, his position, his possessions, and he lost it because he gave in to temptation. And remember Joseph, how he passed the test, but he lost all his identity and he lost all those other things? He endured, and now look what God is giving back to him on the other side. Now he's wearing Pharaoh's ring, Pharaoh's gold chain, and Pharaoh's fine linen, but it doesn't stop there. And it says that he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee, and they made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without you shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, which we have no idea what that means, but apparently it was very high honor and esteem in that culture. And he gave him to wife Azanath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. I love this testimony in this passage. Because you think of all the hell that Joseph has gone through. And now it all in one day turns around. And he becomes the ruler over the entire land of Egypt in one day. Doesn't that fill you with hope? Sometimes the preparation seasons, the things that we go through and we wonder about, God, what are you doing? Where is this leading? Why, am, why is all this happening to me? In one moment, in one day, half a day, I mean, this is probably before Joseph even had his breakfast. He woke up in the prison that morning not knowing what was going to happen that day, and by lunchtime, he's the ruler of the entire land. Isn't God good? Don't ever question the goodness of God because you don't make sense of the current status of the trial that you're going through. Just keep going, and God's going to bring it to pass. It says that Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh. What that means is that it took 13 years. He was 17 when he was first given the dream, and it took 13 years for Joseph to now be ready for things, and it says that he went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and he laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field which was round about every city laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much, until he left off numbering, for it was without number." So God was with Joseph and blessed his work, but Joseph labored and fulfilled the thing that God had given to him. And it says that unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Now mark this in your Bible. Circle it if you have to. Underline it. He says, For God, said he, has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. The worship team can come. We're not going to go any further because verses 53 through 57 are a great lead up into uh, what's going to happen in the next chapter. And so we'll save those for next uh, week as we go forward. But it's an amazing thing what God does in the life of this man and how God brings him from the place of preparation. It started in the pit, and went to the prison, and now he finds himself in the palace at the age of 30 years old. There's an amazing testimony in Deuteronomy, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, where Moses 
is essentially exhorting the people before his death to follow after the Lord. And you know what Moses says to them? He says, listen, if you follow God and you just continue walking with him and trusting him, he says that the blessing of God is going to overtake you like a wave of water. Like when you're in the ocean and you see it coming and either you want to catch it or you don't want it to catch you. But the wave is moving faster than you are. The blessing of God is going to pick you up and it's going to overflow within your life. And all you have to do is keep moving in the direction that God has pushed you forward in. And when you least expect it, God is going to come through. God prospered him. An amazing thing in Joseph's testimony is that God has made me to forget all of the affliction of the time in the palace or the pit and the prison. And all of that has become a distant dream to me. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. If you're here tonight and you're struggling because you don't know the will or the plan of God, or maybe you're struggling thinking, is God actually remembering me? Can I trust God? Is the goodness of God here? Am I important to Him? I want to read you a verse. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. It says, For who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice. And maybe now you're in the day of small things. God is doing things. He's preparing you. It hurts. There's pain. There's confusion. But understand and know this, that God's not going to leave you in that place not one minute longer than is necessary. And if you continue, you will come to the point where you can say, Manasseh, God has made me to forget all of the difficulty of the affliction of those days. Thirteen years, maybe one-tenth of my life, one-eighth of my life, it's worth every moment to see the glory and the things that He prepared me for. It was worth every minute. And that will be the testimony of every child of God. And furthermore, not just Manasseh, but Ephraim, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. The very things I thought would kill me have become the platform for the most productivity in my life. What an amazing way that God can take and turn the table. And it all makes sense in this time. The faithful God we serve. Father, we are so grateful for this testimony. It puts flesh and, and blood in so many concepts, so many principles, things of you. We thank you tonight for your ways and for your wisdom. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue your plan in each one of our lives. We surrender to you every aspect and element. We surrender to you the difficulties and the stresses, the tired nights. We repent, Lord, of our tendency to complain, our tendency towards bitterness or resentfulness towards you. We repent of our lack of faith. And Lord, we know that we're weak sometimes when it comes to continuing in your word in the days of tiresomeness. And, and we just pray, Lord, that you would again use this, what we've heard tonight, and that you'd encourage us, Lord, that you would breathe the fire back into a hot flame. So we trust you. We declare our faith. We declare our love. And now we stand to our feet and worship you, Lord, for you are worthy. And it's in Jesus' name we thank you for these things. Amen.
Let's stand together.